everybody. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Oh, it's so good to be here with my Emerge family. Pastor Mark and Nina and the team, you guys are just the best. Uh, if you're the type that's following along in an actual Bible, Numbers 15, we're going to get to that in just a second. My, uh, my joy and my task tonight is to open the Bible, and I take that very seriously. Anytime you do that, you want to ask a couple questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And so we're going to do that. And when we do that, we want a few things to happen. We want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, um, not smaller. Um, on your way out tonight, uh, in front of that door, there's a uh, small resource table set up with our resources um, in USB for both audio and video. Um, 100% of what we make from that we give to the poor and the afflicted. Uh, we have uh, three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we could do our part to break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Flats. I was thinking about the, the new stuff I've done since the last time I was here. We've got three brand new ones since I was here last. Um, one is, the newest one is a master class on how to approach scripture in a more meaningful way. Uh, Pastor Wayne Alcorn um, asked me to do that at, at Hope Center, and over the course of three nights, we did a six-hour short course uh, on this, and it just came off so well. They recorded it for me, and um, it's back there for you. It's, it's really new. You're one of the f first churches to actually have that here, so that's there. Um, also, I finished uh, my, my series on the book of Revelation. Um, I just couldn't cope with how embarrassed I was with the embarrassing things that people were putting on the internet about that book. And so I, I, I just decided to teach through it. And, and I, I finished that up. It's back there as well. Also, uh, church leaders were asking me to handle this, this sort of sex sexuality topic. And so I did an 11-part series on um, sex and sexuality. Um, so I know so somebody, somebody picked it up back there and said, um, how do you talk for 11 sessions on that topic? I was like, well, it's not a technique manual, you know, that... that that, that would be four minutes long. It's, it's actually a, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality and different ways and more profound ways we can think about that topic. So you can pick that up. There, oh, there's, all, there's all kinds of stuff back there. Um, come check it out and just know that um, you're putting something in our hands that helps us feed, close, shelter, educate mentally handicapped kids. Um, and we're putting something in your hands that resources you to look at Scripture and God a, a little bit differently. Um, so, uh, so I want to talk to you tonight about fashion and I know, I know. And I want to look at this passage in the book of Numbers and then trace it forward um, to hopefully make Jesus just explode in our mind. And um, this is uh, Numbers uh, uh, 15. Uh, this is, if you could bring that up, it says, Speak, the Lord said to Moses, Well, speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord. What an odd thought. Like, God's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's wear tassels, right? Which is just frankly strange. Like, if I said, hey, guys, we're going to wear tassels, what would be your question? Well, why? Why would we do that? It's not really that big of a fascist statement. But he goes on. Watch this. Next slide. Uh, you'll have these tassels to look at. And so you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you'll remember to obey all my commands and... Be consecrated to the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. So, so he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to take tassels, and I want you to attach it to the corner of your garment. Why? To look at. 
Human beings are, oftentimes, it is very effective. We need tactile reminders of things. This was the original what would Jesus do bracelet, right? This was the original cross around the neck, right? This was the original, hey, before I act or speak in a situation, I want to remember the ways of the Lord. Now, there's, a, there's, some key, there's some key ideas here. Next slide. Let me just walk you through these key ideas, and we're going to talk about what happened, and then we're going to talk about what happened in me right now because of that. So the first key idea, and there's a, there's a lot of energy in this room tonight. I'm loving the energy. So, so, I, so I'm going to get you to repeat this with some Go Emerge Church gusto, okay? The, the first word that I want to teach you is the word, kanaf. Can I hear you say that with some gusto? Kanaf. Yeah, kanaf is the word corner. But Ancient Hebrew only had 8,000 words, right? So one word had to mean a lot of different things, right? So the word kanaf could mean corner, it could mean border, it could mean him, or later it, it, it came to mean wings. It, it, let me show you. It, the reason, I'm gonna, let me see if I can put this on, hang on. The reason it started to mean wings is when the priest would bless the people, he would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance to you. Can you see where the word kanaf started to mean wings, right? So, so that, was, that was the word kanaf. The most important word, though, is the word talit. With that same amount of gusto, I want you to say that with me. Everybody together, ready, go. Talit. Let's try that again more together and a little bit more gusto. Ready, go. Talit. Now, a talit is literally a garment, but, but most words that have a lot of meaning, they have a literal meaning, and they have some sort of metaphorical symbol to it. So, so a talit was literally a garment, but symbolically it was the presence of God. The, the reason is, is this garment was an exact model of the veil that held the, that, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It's, it's sort of, it's the place no one could go. Everybody wanted to go, but no one could really go. It's sort of like this. How many men in, in Brisbane want to drive a Ferrari? All of them. How many of them can afford to drive a Ferrari? None of them, which is, which is why grown men buy model Ferraris and put it on their mantle. Something inside of us is like, I sort of own a Ferrari. That, that, was, that was sort of this. It was like, look, you can never go into the temple and see the real deal, but, but we're going to give you a, we're going to give you like a scale model, right? And the idea was, is, is that it was the presence of God. The, the idea is, is that it, to put on the garment of praise, wear the presence of God. This was the metaphor. The idea is, is you can't organize your life where God is here but not there. That God is with you everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say, every word you speak. God is in the middle of it. In, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for spiritual. If you ask a Hebrew person, how's your spiritual life? They'd go, what? Like, I, my whole life. Is that you, you can't separate what we do in here from how you treat the waitress when she's taking too long to take your order, right? You can't separate what you do in here from how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat the person who cuts you off in traffic. You can't do that. That everything we do, everything we say is spiritual. So this was a talit. Now, all together with that same amount of gusto, because it's really, really important, let's say that again. The word is talit. Ready, go. Talit. And talit was the presence of of God. There's all this imagery around it. Like uh, they, they would take one of these and they would spread it over a marriage altar. That was, the, that was the, when you did your wedding, you did so under the presence of God. They also put one of these over the marriage bed before it was consummated so that when a marriage was consummated, it was done so under the presence 
of God. This was a very highly symbolic sort of thing. The other two words that are going to come to play in, in a little bit are the words teme and the words tahor, all right? So let's say those two words. The first one is teme. Ready, go. Teme. Now, teme means unclean. So if somebody had leprosy or something, they would, they would walk through town and they'd have to go, Tame, 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 unclean, unclean, unclean. And, and then there was, there was you, you're, only, you're either unclean or clean in that world. So unclean was Tame, clean was Tahor. Now I realize that in English, Tahor sounds like the dirty one. But in ancient Hebrew, Tahor was clean, Tame was unclean. And the whole thing centered around these tassels on the corners of your garments. Next, next slide. So the tassels had all this symbolism in it. So, so in, in a tassel, there was five knots, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In other words, it's not just the presence of God. It's how you carry the presence of God. Like the idea of the anointing or the presence of God. Well, you, like the anointing, whatever. Like God trusts people with his anointing. God trusts people with his gifts, with his spirit. And sometimes, I mean, you can be an anointed jerk. That's the truth, right? You could, you could, be, you could be carrying the gift of the spirit and you're just sort of, your character hasn't caught up. The idea is it's not just the presence of God. It's how you carry the presence of God. Are you carrying the presence of God as it is attached to the word of God. Also, in between the five knots are four spaces. One for each book of, uh, sorry, one for each letter in the holy name Yahweh. Yud, hey, vav, hey. So it wasn't just the word of God. It was the name of God. The name of God was defined in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. In other words, it's not just the presence of God. It's carrying the presence of God in a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness way. In the first century, the anointed ones were called, the, the anointed ones because, because they carried it in the disposition of Messiah, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding love. That was the primary definition of the name of God. It's used all over the Bible, like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases because he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding love and forgiveness God who does not treat you as your iniquities deserve but gives you mercy that's new every morning. It's also stated negatively, like in Jonah. Jonah gets irritated that God is gonna be nice to people he doesn't like. And he goes, I knew it, I knew it. That's why I hate, I hate this. That's why I fled to Tarshish. I knew you were gonna be a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. A God who repents from evil. It's a whole sort of thing where Jonah didn't like the, Jonah liked mercy for himself, but he wanted justice for everybody else, right? So it's, it's not just the presence of God, it's the word of God, the name of God. Oh, oh, by the way, if you tie a tassel properly, it takes 613 loops. There's exactly 613 commands. So it's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God. But every tassel, when it's tied properly, comes off with eight strands. Eight's the number of new beginnings. And that new beginning is endless. It's the, it's the grace of God when I make mistakes. It's the grace of God when I fail. So it's not just the presence of God. It's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and the grace of God when I fail. So what they would do is they would wrap the tassel around their hand like so. And they would look at it 
and remember God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways moved me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. So that any time before you sinned with your hand, you had to physically unwrap God. It was a deterrent to horrible behavior. Like, there's all this really cool imagery with this. Like, um, like remember, um, in, there's this one time in Psalms. It says, under the shadow of his wings. Well, God doesn't have wings. Like, it's, 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 the, the word is kanaf. It's, it's under the shadow of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the, the, the nature of God. Remember, there's this one time. Jesus said, beware of the Pharisees because they wear their tassels too long. What's he talking about? Well, in Jesus' day, sometimes religious people like to be loud about how spiritual they were. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't struggle with that at all. Essentially, Jesus is saying, beware of people who are too loud about how spiritual they are. Normally, that's not the case. And that's my experience and yours. Like if I come into a church and someone says, hello, I'm the prayer warrior here. <clears throat> Normally not. Normally the prayer warrior is somewhere praying. I've never met a prophet in my life that introduced themselves as one. Right? Like if you're really a prophet, someone else is going to tell me that you're, like Jesus is like, beware of people who are too loud about how spiritual they are. If you look underneath that surface, normally there's a real problem. Remember there's this one time, <clears throat> there's this guy named David, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the story because I think we all know it. So David, the gist of it, David shows up on the battlefield. He brings cheese to his brothers. There's this giant there and he goes, who's going to take on the giants? David goes out and takes on the giant. And, and it's, it's, a real, it's, a real, it's a real great story. Like David is this bad dude, hey? Like he's like Jack Bauer on speed, okay? David is, David is Liam Neeson's character in Taken. Remember that? Like, but, but, but. What we also learn in that story is that as awesome as David is at fighting, he's equally bad at hiding, right? So, so David's like, Saul's chasing David around. He doesn't like how popular he's got. And everywhere David shows up, people already know he's there, right? So there's this one time where he ends up in a cave in Agilum, and it says that 400 people knew where he was going and met him there, which is like, seriously, bro, as good as you are at butt kicking, when it comes to hiding, frankly, you suck, right? And so David's got these problems. So it says that David goes into this cave to hide, and it just so happens that Saul chooses the same cave to use the toilet, right? So, so Saul goes into the cave to, to use the toilet, and, um, and it says that David came up behind him and cut off the corner uh, of, his, of his garment. Now, my Sunday school teacher, bless her heart, told me that David was trying to show him he could kill him, but he didn't want to. And I, I, okay, not really the point. So, so what happened, bless her heart, like, but, but seriously, not really the point. So, so Saul gets done doing his business, and he puts his garment back on, his tallit, the presence of God. He puts it back on, and he walks outside into the light, and he would have reached for his tassels to wrap around his hands. And if he's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? T tassels. So David cuts off his tassel, and he stands in the distance holding up the corner of Saul's garment. And it says Saul saw this and took it as a reproach. You think? Of course he did. And what did David say? 
I cannot touch the anointing on your life. That's above my pay grade. Who God gives his presence to and who he doesn't, that's way above my pay grade. But what I can say is that the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. Yes, you have the anointing, but you've lost touch with your tassel, bro. And this was like, oh, man. Like, oh, man, there's all this really cool sort of imagery around this. Well, an interesting prophecy came about. And that prophecy is written in Malachi chapter 4. It's one of the last things said about who Messiah is and how can you recognize Messiah. So here's a guy named Malachi, and he's writing, like, when all these Messiahs show up, how are you going to know who the real one is? And here's what he says. Check this out. Next slide. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The word is kanaf. In other words, you can tell who Messiah is by whether or not there's healing in the corner of his garment. Hmm. Mark chapter 5. An interesting story comes about, about Jesus and a guy named Jairus and his daughter. Now, this is a strange sort of story. It's one of the most spectacular stories in Jesus' whole life. But I fear we miss the point because we miss that we forget the context. So this is what, next slide. This is what happens. This is Mark chapter 5. When, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a guy named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is a posture of begging. Keep going. And he pleaded earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Mark chapter 5 is all about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. So there's this little girl, and she's dying, and she's obviously, they've, exa they've exhausted all medical help. So this guy comes and begs Jesus to come pray for his little girl because the little girl's dead. Now, what's going to happen next is so spectacular, we quit reading. Like, we just stop because what happens next is so spectacular. But if we ever lose sight of the fact that this is all about Jairus' daughter, we're going to miss the entire point of the passage. Because Mark chapter 5 is all about Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter because you don't want a little girl dying. So Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. But if we lose sight of the fact that this is about Jairus' daughter, we're going to make the next thing so big that we're going to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. I've heard people preach this and stop at the next thing, which is really, really spectacular, but forget the fact that this is all about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. So for tonight, we're not going to forget that this is all about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because if we do that, we're going to miss the whole point. So it's very, very important that we remember this is all about Jairus' daughter, and Jesus is going to take compassion and go pray for this little girl called Jairus' daughter, because if we forget that he's going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, the next thing is so big, we might forget about the fact that this is actually going somewhere else. So it's very, very important that we remember this is about Jairus' daughter, because if we forget that, it's going to be a real problem in terms of how we interpret it. So for tonight, we got to really, really remember that this is all about out. Jairus is, yeah. <clears throat> so Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. And the strangest thing happens. It says that on the way to pray for Jairus' daughter, a lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years pushes through the crowd to grab the corner of his garment. Now, a couple things there. Bleeding for 12 years. How'd they know that? Like, what if it was 11 years and nine months? 
What if it's 12 years? Obviously not the point. Now, if you, uh, if you are a nerd, okay, so, so Jewish people read the Bible through four levels. If you're a nerd and you need to know the name of those four levels, it's Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sud. If you're not a nerd, one, two, three, four. Now, <clears throat> the Peshat is like the plainest thing going on. Like there's this lady, she's got an issue of bleeding. I think it's safe to assume some sort of female problem. And she's, medical things aren't helping. And she is wanting to grab the corner of Jesus's garment. But then there's this number 12. And when a Jewish person saw the number 12, they would have thought 12 tribes. A remez is a hint or an allusion to something. So in one sense, this is about one lady at one moment at one time. In another sense, this is about an entire nation needing a touch from God. So this isn't just one lady at one moment at one time, although it is that, it's something bigger. This is an illustration for what's available to an entire nation, right? Now the other thing going on is why would she wanna grab the corner of his garment? Well, she's Jewish. And she would have memorized all the prophecies about Messiah. And supposedly, if he is who he says he is, well, there's one way to find out. There should be healing in his tassels, in the way he carries the word of God, the name of God, the grace of God. There should be healing in his wings. Here's the problem. If you've had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, you would be unclean, anathema. Let's stop and read this story emotionally for a second, okay? First of all, just physically, and only women would really understand this. If you bled for 12 years, how are you feeling physically? Just, it'd just be terrible. Like anemia, it would, just be, it would just be awful. But it's bigger than that. She would have been seen as social anathema, untouchable. See, in, in Jewish culture, you're either Tame or Tehor. And so here's the thing, right? Like we define sin very poorly. We define sin as the bad things we do. Okay, but sin in their world was anything that's not perfect. I'll give you a few examples. In the book of Leviticus, it's a sin to have dandruff. So why don't you, why don't you check your neighbor right now and see if they're living in sin? So you just check their shoulders, see if they're, right? Oh, oh, by the way, it was a sin, it was a sin to have a rash. Oh, by the way, it was a sin to have a period. I know. I know. It was a sin because the loss of blood was never part of the... Oh, by the way, in Leviticus 12, it was a sin to give birth. In Leviticus 12, it says, after a woman gives birth, she must bring an offering to atone for her sin of loss of blood. And then what people did is religious leaders figured out how to profiteer on people's guilt. Brilliant, right? Corner the market on forgiveness and then make it harder and harder and harder. So here's what they did. They said, well, yeah, it's a sin to have dandruff, but it's also a sin to touch someone who has dandruff. So, so the word Tame became very contagious. So not only if I have dandruff and I have a problem, but if someone touches me, now they're Tame. Why would they do that? Well, the more people that are Tame, the more people have to buy sacrifices for forgiveness. And it was just a very profitable sort of thing. So they started making the rules harder and harder and harder. So they, like here was one of, these, are, these were just like made up stuff. They, 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 said, they said, okay, um, not only is it a sin to touch a woman who's on her period, it's a sin to touch the chair she sat on in the last three days. 
Like, I don't know how you even lived back then. What'd you do, put a sign? Hey, excuse me, if you're here tonight and you're on your period, could you just let us know so we know what not to touch you? And if you're not willing to do that, could you just put a sign in your chair? That's strange, right? Here, here was one. It was a sin to touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. Like, what'd you do, put a sign up? Like, what? Like I, I, was, I was teaching this one time in a guy's home and he made everybody get off the sofa. <clears throat> He was 75. I know. I know. Was like, I was like, come on, Dad. Seriously. So, so Tim A was incredibly contagious. It was a problem. So Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going to go pray for. Jesus is, Jesus is going to go pray for. Yeah. And there's this lady with an issue of bleeding, hold on a second. If she's been bleeding for 12 years, what would she be? Tame, untouchable. Couple of things. First, she would not have been purposely touched in 12 years. Just feel the emotion of that. Like, she walks in the room and people, and it wasn't because they were mean, they literally couldn't afford to touch her. Her husband would have been given a right to divorce her. It doesn't say whether he did or not, but he would have been given a right to. It would have just been a, this woman's living with all kinds of rejection, and she knows, hang on, if he is who he says he is, if I could just get there. Here's the problem. She's an outcast. How, he's surrounded by people. How do you get close enough? You, you're going to love this lady. This lady's like, hold on, I'm Tamay. No one can afford to touch me. Ha! Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, right? Right? It's like, whoop, right? She reaches up and grabs the corner of his garment, and she's instantly healed. That's what's interesting. What's, what's more interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't address it, and Jesus acts very out of character. Anytime Jesus healed somebody, what was his response? Shh, let's keep this on the down low, shall we? Not this time. This lady reaches up and grabs the corner of his garment. She gets healed. Jesus is like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus? No, man, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? <laughs> like Luke, the force has left me, right? Like this is out of character for Jesus. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Now, here's what's crazy. Why would a first century rabbi point out to the whole room that an unclean woman touched him? What are they gonna think he is? Unclean. Isn't that, by the way, isn't it the whole gospel in one nutshell? The one who knew no sin was willing to be considered unclean so that the one who actually had sin could feel freedom. Like that's like the whole gospel in one nutshell is the one who knew no sin was willing to empty himself and humble himself and be considered unclean and take on the rebuke and the scorn so that somebody else can be set free. There's a whole thing going on here. There's all kinds of lessons here too. Like one of the best miracles Jesus ever did was an interruption to his schedule, right? Right, Jesus is on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter and this lady interrupts the whole thing, which tells you that if God can't interrupt your agenda and your schedule, you might miss some of the biggest things that'll ever happen, right? There's all, 
There's all this really cool stuff. And you can see why sometimes people stop there because it's like spectacular. Who touched me? Who touched me? This lady's been made whole. Jesus doesn't even address the healing. He says, go in shalom, go in peace. Like don't make the next group of friends pay for the rejection of the previous group. Like there's all this unbelievable stuff. And then suddenly you remember he was on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter. This is like the next verse. This is so sad. Check this out. Next slide. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. These people have no cooth. Like, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? First, rude, right? Seriously. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? These people are rude. Right? Like, this is like out there, like no decorum, like have a little bit of couth, right? Like, this is just, this is strange. Now, let's stop and be emotional for a second. If you have a daughter and you just found out she died, what are your emotions? One, devastation. Two, unbelief. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Three, anger. At who? At, at the woman. You can't be mad at Jesus. He's like the Lord. Like, but you, stupid woman. Been bleeding 12 years, couldn't wait 20 minutes. He was on his way to pray for my kid, and you stopped him. And now my kid's dead. It's your fault, you stupid woman. Good grief. Why are they being so rude? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Well, Jairus is a synagogue leader which means he has to keep all the rules. Now, it might help us to understand that in Leviticus, it's a sin to knowingly walk into the room where a dead body is. You can't knowingly walk into the room where a dead body is unless you're already considered unclean. Oh, right? Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to look over here. I need all of you to think I'm unclean. In other words, what seemed like the distraction that kept the miracle from happening was actually the thing that needed to happen for the miracle to happen. They don't even let him in the room if he's not considered unclean. And you know that's true of your life too and mine. The things that seem like the biggest disasters in, in, upon further review, those are the things that push us into our next season of a miracle, into our next season of breakthrough. What seems, oh, I lost my job, Shane, I lost my job. Good, it's time for you to start that business you've been dreaming about, right? Sometimes what seems like the big disaster is actually the thing that makes the other thing possible. They're not gonna let him in the room unless he's already considered unclean. So what seemed like a distraction to the story actually is what made the story possible. But, but Jesus covers his bases. Watch what he says. Next slide. And, and he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Kind of a, it's kind of a dumb question, actually. This kid's dead. And he's like, why are you so upset? Right? And, and then he, well, uh, uh, this kid died, Jesus. And, and, and he goes, oh, no, no, no. She's not dead. She's just asleep. <laughs> Wink, wink, right? Now, it's interesting, in Hebrew, the word dead and the word asleep is the same word. So it's like, it's, he's playing words here. It's like, oh, I don't think she's dead. I think she's just asleep. 
And so you should let me in, but in case you're not thinking about letting me in because of the whole rules, um, uh, God loves people more than the rules. And um, I, I've just sort of had this encounter. You ask them, I'm already unclean. You may as well let me in there. Like there's this whole sort of thing going on. But they laughed at him and he put them all out and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Let me remind you before we go forward. In Jesus' world, what would have been wrapped around Jesus' hands? Tassels. This garment is called a tallit. Everybody together with gusto? Tallit. Very good. Let's try that again. Tallit. Tallit was the presence of God. So Jesus walks in wearing his tallit and wrapping the tassels like so. Watch what happens. Next slide. And he took her by the hand. Stop. If it's against the law, if it's against the law to walk into the presence of the dead, is it against the law to touch a dead person? Yes. I mean, Jesus is taking incredible faith here to do this. In this story, he takes her by the hand. What would have been wrapped around his hand? Tassels. So in the first part of the story, this lady gets touched by God because she's reaching up for him. In the second part of the story, this little girl gets touched by God because he's reaching down for her. Even after she's dead. Listen, this is, and this will be your story as well. Sometimes you get a massive touch from God because you're desperate and you're reaching up for a touch from God. Sometimes you're going to get a touch from God because God's desperately seeking you. There is this whole thing going on. He reaches down and he takes her by the hand and says, Talit, ha, kum. Talit, ha, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. But hang on, the talit in their world was the presence of God. Essentially, it's my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. And I'm telling you, I came here tonight to say this to you. And you can hear this in your spirit in one of hundreds of different circumstances. Talit, ha, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. But Shane, I went through with this divorce, and I, I know, I know, five years ago. It's time for you to let all that go and get up. But Shane, I lost my job, and they did me wrong. I know, I know. Talit ha-kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. It's time for you to move forward. It's time for you to get up. Now listen, I, I, I got I, I to stop and do this because my conscience won't let me preach this without pointing this out, okay? It is unwise and irresponsible to presume upon the grace and power of God to fix things that we could just fix on our own. Like the, the, second, the, the second temptation of Christ was throw yourself off this mountain because God has such a big plan for you, he'll catch you. And remember Jesus, he's like, well, probably, but why would I do that when I could just not jump? Right? Like, listen, if you ever get lung cancer, we will pray with all of our might that God will heal you of the lung cancer. But we'd also like to know that you'll quit smoking today instead of maybe needing a miracle in 30 years. Like if you have financial problems, we'll pray with all of our heart that God will give you a financial breakthrough. But we'd also like to know that you're getting up before 10. Right? That you're applying for jobs and 
doing things like that. I don't know if I'm getting this point across very well. So maybe, maybe if Joyce Meyer told you, right, 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 right. If it's within the power of you to change your life, get off your butt and change your life. Don't let me come back here next year and find you in the exact same place. If you can change your life, get off your butt and change your life. I'm telling you, reach down deep inside of you and you change your life. Maybe some people don't like Joyce. That's okay, I like Joyce. Maybe Joel Osteen's more your... You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy used to say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just reach deeper down inside of you. You become the champion God intended you to be. Whatever works. But here's the truth of it. If you live long enough, you will act with responsibility and in wisdom, and you will take all the medicine the doctor told you to take, and it won't be enough. You'll do all you can do to save the relationship, and they still leave you. You'll do all you can do to save the client, and he'll still go to a vendor for a little cheaper price. There will come a day where you do all you can do. And it's at that point where that's all you have. It's a reminder that God is God and we are not. And the invitation tonight is to, if you can change your life, you change your life. But if you're at the end of your rope of everything you can do, there's a moment in the presence of God. Talit hakum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time to arise. Oh, one more thing. Let me just show you one more thing. Check this out. Next slide. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. That's pretty cool. Oh, wait a minute. How old was she? Well, she was 12. So she's been alive for the exact amount of time the other lady's been bleeding. Maybe they knew each other. <laughs> I know that's not the point. The point is there's this one lady in one moment at one time, and there's this one little girl at one moment at one time who needed to touch from God. But the other point is there's an entire nation that when you have a life leak and you get to the end of all you can do, they're still healing in his wings. At this, they were completely astonished. You reckon? And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about it. Now that's Jesus. That's more like in character, right? And he told them to give her something to eat. Why? I don't know. Rising from the dead, you work up an appetite. I don't know. <clears throat> if I could have the musicians back, I want to pray for you. And... Um, Lord, would you let this place be a dwelling place for your name, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. If you're brave enough, I want you to pray this prayer underneath your breath. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about an area I could change my own life and then give me the courage to act.
The second question is, Holy Spirit, I'm at the end of my rope. And I'm asking you for the grace of your presence to engage my broken story. If you're here right now, I'm just going to pray that the presence of God would flood this place and invade every broken story exactly where that broken story is and move amongst the broken story to make a better narrative. Just right there where you're sitting, why don't you say a prayer like this? Holy Spirit, I surrender my broken story to your power. I, I, I surrender my disordered story to your creative power to make a better narrative out of it. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never received Jesus. You're like, what does that even mean? Here's what it means. It means you get to a place where you realize that Jesus's version of your life story is better than the one we've been writing on our own. And we surrender to that version of it. You could, if you need a prayer to pray, you could pray something like, Lord Jesus, I choose tonight to surrender to your version of my life story. Instead of the one I've been writing on my own, I trust you. Lord, would you heal Deliver, set free, engage broken stories. Would you look this way? Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your night. <clears throat> I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I hope <clears throat> that you'll never separate what we do in here with how you live out there. That everything we do, everything we say, God is in the middle of it. I, I, I pray that you would hear this as a utterance of encouragement, or prophetic utterance, if that's your preferred language, like whatever the case may be, talit hakum. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. Now, <clears throat> these, let me be clear about this. These are my tassels. They don't have any inherent value at all. They're a great illustration. Um, like, I don't want anybody walking out going, he said his clothes have magic. No, these are mine, right? You know, and you know, we're not doing this sort of, what yay on Sunday, no, no. But, you know, <clears throat> sometimes it just helps people to have some sort of tactile thing. And if that's you, in the singing and then in after the service, I'm going to leave this up here. Now, these are mine, and I need to take them with me to Chinchilla, okay? I've got to go to Chinchilla now, and I've got to take them. So, um, if you, but if you need a moment with the tassel, um, when they close the service, I'm going to leave this up here. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lord, lift his countenance to you and give you peace. May each and every one of us know that the presence of God has engaged our broken story to make a better story out of it. And more than anything, Talit Hakum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time to get up. Grace and peace, everybody.